Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 85 of Maximize Your Influence. I am Steve Olson, and I am here with Kurt Mortensen as always. We have some great information for you today about handshakes and what people like in Persuaders, and we've got a ninja coming up. Kurt, how you doing? What's the latest? The latest is winter's over. We had a spring break, right? How awesome was that? Spend some time with the kids and the family, not do as much, and... Enjoy the springtime. So I'm feeling a little refreshed this week. So good stuff. What about you? Oh, yeah, great. We went uh, down to St. George, Utah for spring break, and we're very lazy for a few days. And it was a challenge because my son, who is, uh, oh, what is he, 15 months old, he took a tumble down the stairs the other day, broke his arm. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Am I not supposed to laugh? <laughs> no, it's 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 so uh, sad, it's, but it's kind of hilarious to see this little kid little with a cast. And- yeah. I guess everyone who has children on the call can laugh at that, too, because they've kind of experienced it. At the time, it's kind of horrific, but then after a while, you're like, <laughs> okay, this is ha- this is Kids 101. This is reality, especially when you have a boy. Yeah. Right? It's like magnified 20 times how often they get hurt. Yeah, he's going downstairs, and he, he's a lot more confident than his skill set, so he just he looks like a human wrecking ball lately you know he's got a scab on his head he's got a broken arm somebody's going to call social services and we're like no he just wants to go down the stairs so bad and he's just not very good at it <laughs> uh, that with my son he had bruises and scrapes and cuts and i was just had this great fear like yeah someone's going to call social service yeah yeah <laughs> gonna, it's like really he's just learning how to walk i didn't do it i really i didn't do it yeah but they look like they've been through the the abuse factor there, I guess we call it. Yep, yep. So the, the boys attack it so much more aggressively than the girls do. So it was a challenge, you know, at the swimming pool. We'd have to put his little arm in a plastic bag and tape it off. And I mean, oh, it's just a, a circus. But he he didn't know. I mean, he's acting like it's no big deal. In fact, he's starting to use it as a weapon. <laughs> oh, there we go. Yeah. Hey, adapt and learn. We can't ask more from a, a little kid. Yeah, that's right? right. That's right. So... <laughs> That's what's going on with us. We hope everybody is having a great uh, a great start to your spring, and uh, you're not getting destroyed by the allergies like I am. Buy whatever pharmaceutical company owns Claritin. Buy stock in that, because I'm keeping them in business. Yeah, it's been bad this year. I think it's been longer, too, just because of the lack of winter. But yeah, I've done my fair share of sneezing. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. We might have some for you today on the show. I know you're all looking <laughs> forward to that. So we've got a couple of things to cover, like I said. Remember, go to universityofpersuasion.com for more information on how we can help you become a powerful persuader. Subscribe to the show. Go to iTunes. Go to Windows Marketplace, Stitcher Radio. Those are all ways that you can get automatic updates whenever we upload a new show, which is usually every Thursday. That's what we we try to shoot for. Or you can just go to maximizeyourinfluence.com. You can check out the blog entries and listen to the show directly there. So with that... I need Kurt to queue up the Urkel. Oh, do I have to? Yes, you do. No, I need to, I'm going to put my plug in for University of Persuasion. Oh, okay. Hey, there is a – it's free. A lot of the aspects are free where you can download podcasts and do some other things. But there's also the 10-week course on your Persuasion IQ that anybody who registers can get for free. So 
There's my plug of the day. It's there. It's great information. We endorse it 100% on the show. Well, why not? And it's, what was it, cheaper than a, what was it, a Honda Civic? Yeah, cheaper than the cost of a Honda Three Civic. Three is cheaper than a Honda Civic. So let me do my part. All right, here's your favorite. Not mine, but yours, Urkel. <laughs> <laughs> There's Urkel. And thank you for the shameless plug. We'll need to get a sound effect for that. Maybe like the Sham Wow guy. Or something, you know, that, that kind of fits with a shameless plug. But Just have someone say, but wait, there's more. Yeah, yeah, something really just salesy, slimy, so we can really <laughs> lean into the shameless plug. So There we go. Yeah, but talking about the geeky article moment, I'm actually taking it today. And this is a, an article that was published on uh, The Economist, which I like to read The Economist a little bit, talking about eye contact and handshakes, right? Cool. So... This is a, a test by a Dr. Sobel who actually is in Israel. And I think we have a few listeners in, in Israel. So this is a pretty interesting, Kurt, because what he did, you've, you've read all these studies. I, I know Malcolm Gladwell is big on this, is doing studies that take into account micro expressions, right? So Dr. Sobel basically came up with a theory that, you know what? Humans are probably just like many other animals and they want to smell the humans that they interact with. <laughs> okay. Well, there that yeah. Tell us more. That's going and taking a strange turn, but I'm still listening. Yes, I know. I know. <laughs> You're waiting for me to say it's okay to just go right up to people and sniff them. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm not going to say this. What he did is to test the idea, and I'm going directly from the article here. His team invited 280 volunteers into their laboratory for an undisclosed experiment, and the volunteers were asked to wait alone for a few minutes. And then one of the uh, one of the scientists greeted them with or without a handshake. They explained that the trial would start soon, and they left. But the volunteers didn't know that the experiment had long since begun, and they were being filmed the whole time. So what they did is they measured how often these volunteers placed their hands near their faces before and after the greeting, and whether that differed between those who had not shaken hands. And they found that the people who had been greeted with a handshake touched their faces a lot more often than those who had not been greeted with the handshake. So they didn't know whether this was accompanied by any sniffing, right? Yeah, they're touching their faces, but are they trying to sniff the person that they just interacted with? Well, so they actually did another test and they fitted these people with a little gizmo that measured nasal airflow and the rate of airflow more than doubled when volunteers touch their faces, it was a clear sign that they're smelling something. So we don't know what science is ultimately going to reveal about this. But the fact is, when you shake somebody's hand subconsciously, you are trying to smell them. And we don't know what for yet, but it'll be interesting to see if we can ever crack that code. You can bet that the marketers and the retail people, any kind of persuader that interacts with people face to face is going to leverage that. Interesting. Well, we know our olfactory system is very powerful. It's wired to the center of our brain, and when we smell something, we can go back 10, 20, 30 years. But it's interesting, too. Another study showed that those who wear perfume and cologne in the workplace, it actually hurts their ability to persuade and influence. So I'm wondering if that natural smell they're trying to smell is part of that. I mean, you want to have a clean showered smell. Obviously, an offensive odor would have the opposite effect, but... Hey, study after study just shows that smells matter. And now that we're smelling each other, they matter even more. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this is pretty crazy stuff, but we'll see how it we'll see how it goes. I was coming back from spring break yesterday and 
my kids, we bought a bunch of candy at the gas station because we're great parents like that. But <laughs> I, I took a bite of, uh, it was a Laffy Taffy, a great flavored Laffy Taffy. And I'm not kidding you, I went back in time 20 years instantly, <laughs> just from that smell. So it is it is very powerful. All right. <laughs> now that happens a lot of time with kids and the candy and the smells and the... It's that powerful. It could be chlorine. It could be a perfume. It could be a cologne. It could be a variety of things. But that smell is just boom. It's instant. Yeah. What really struck me was it had been 20 years, but it was so familiar. It was like it had never left. And I, I think that's why if we can leverage this a little bit better, the challenge is, is that we all have smells that we love and we all have smells that we hate. And it's hard to really individualize that. But, uh, you know, Google will probably come up with that. They'll probably track your web history for two years and determine what smells you like and then sell that data. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the next invention. If you have something on everyone's desk that just kind of emits the right smell based on the website, you'd be a wealthy person. Yeah, that'd be crazy. That'd be crazy. Yeah, even in movie theaters, wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. Yeah, you know, they do it in Disneyland. I noticed that they've, uh, on some of those rides, they've got smells that they get you with. But So that, uh, that's probably the place to launch it. So... We've been doing, uh, over the last couple of weeks, Kurt, in his uh, shameless plug moment from a, a few minutes ago, talked about the Persuasion IQ test, and we continue to give you the cheat sheet on many of these answers that you're going to find on the IQ test, and we've got one for you today. Kurt, are you ready? Ready. Do it. Okay. Here's the question. When clients and customers tell us what they love about their personal persuader, which one did not make the list? A, dependable. B, sincere. C, product knowledge, D, kept promises, or E, friendly. Which one did people just not really care about? Always at the bottom of the list is going to be C, product knowledge. That is a little counterintuitive. Explain yourself, sir. Well, I mean, a lot of rookie persuaders and you know even veteran persuaders, they're all about the product knowledge, which is important. Don't get me wrong. You have to be an expert in your field. But they're more important that you'd be independable, that you're sincere with them. There's some trust. You're keeping promises. There's the people skills. All these things are more important to them than the product knowledge. So we all say product knowledge. In fact, with a lot of veteran persuaders, the challenge is they know too much about their product, and they start vomiting all the incredible features and benefits. Yet it is important. But if you ask people, hey, what would you like about them? What would you like about them? Product knowledge does not make the list, at least not the top five. I mean, it is important. You need to know that. But if you want to connect and open them up and start the sales process, start persuading, these other things are a lot more important than product knowledge. So it's probably not so much the fact that the persuader had or didn't have product knowledge. It's if they did have it, how they chose to display it. They probably put it ahead of these other things, which the people need to feel that emotional connection to. Otherwise, the product knowledge is irrelevant. Yeah, and I think a big piece, too, is that the person you're trying to persuade or influence assumes you have product knowledge. It's what you do for a living, and so it's not hitting their radar unless they know more than you do, and you've lost all trust and credibility. Have you ever had a sales associate? This happens a lot in, in electronics, where you ask him, hey, does this you know record this kind of file, or does it do that? And they picked up the box and started reading it. <laughs> Or that doctor we mentioned that Googled the condition that you have, right? There's some of the yeah. things there you got to be yeah. very careful of. Or the mechanic, as I was driving back east to go to school, I was driving the big old truck, 24-footer, had a turbocharger on it, and he lifted up the hood. He was filling it up, and he's, I said, yeah, and he's asking me questions. I said, yeah, this one has a turbocharger, and he looked at me. He's all, 
does it slow it down much? I'm like, whoa, uh, back away from the car. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that is very frustrating when you, the consumer who's looking for help, knows more than the person that you're talking to. That's when it hits the radar as far as, okay, we need somebody who knows what they're talking about. Yeah, it's okay to not know everything. Of course, you want to be an expert in your product, but... You know, it's just how you display that you don't know everything. It makes all the difference in the world. I had a client email me something about real estate in the state of Florida the other day. I know a little bit, but there's people that know a lot more than me about Florida real estate. I could have said, hey, well, I don't know. That might have been okay. But I spent 15 seconds on Google. Didn't let him know that's what I was doing, (laughs) of course. (laughs) But then I had the answer. So, you know, you've got to... You've got people assume that you have the product knowledge, and many persuaders, I think, are guilty of proving them wrong. And then, wow, all this other stuff doesn't even matter at that point, right? He's uh, dependable, sincere, and friendly, but he doesn't know anything. I don't know what Brian Tracy used to call it, Kurt, but it's some things your prospects just expect you to have, and it does you no good to sit there and tout the fact that you have them. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense, and that's what product knowledge is. They're assuming you're an expert, you know what you're talking about, that's why these other traits are a lot more important, but when that does hit the radar that, wait a minute, they're not all that, they don't know what they're talking about, they're looking it up on Google, whatever it is, in front of them, then all of a sudden that becomes the number one thing, and the other ones don't, none of it matters, because you're not going to be able to persuade them at all. Yeah, so that's a good thing to to note, uh, everybody, is are there certain features and benefits and things that your prospect just expects. And if you sit there and talk about them, not only is it not moving the persuasion process forward, it's probably moving it backwards. So you might be saying some of these things and talking about them like you think they're super special, but in reality, it's it's going against you. It's working against your, your persuasion process. So product knowledge is expected. We bring it in when we've carefully crafted the conversation around questions that relate to the prospect's needs, and then you can do it. So the question that you had here for the IQ test, Kurt, was, you know, when customers tell us what they love about their persuader, which one did not make the list? Here's a here's a good one for you. Do you know which one was number one? Which one did they come back with the most? Number one is going to be being friendly, those people skills. We've talked about it a lot of times. If, if, when someone likes you and trusts you, your ability to influence skyrockets. And so they want someone that makes them feel good, that shows concern that's positive. They want someone that can remember their name, remember what they talked about last time. They want someone who can smile, that shows respect. I mean, we can go down all the people skills, but that's the biggest thing. When people like you and trust you, everything else really doesn't matter as much. If they like you and trust you and you can't answer a question that they expect you to know, then all of a sudden there's more wiggle room. You can look it up, you can ask an expert, you can get back to them versus if they don't like you, don't trust you, and you don't answer the question or you don't know the answer to that question, then all of a sudden the door's shut, you're going home, and there's no way to make that sale. Do you have on the tip of your tongue that study about patients who sued doctors and whether they liked them or not? Do you recall the gist of that study? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, it's the number one reason doctors are sued is because the patient didn't like them. And I was talking to a CEO of a hospital conglomerate, and I said, I bet your best surgeon gets sued the most. And his jaw dropped. He's like, how do you know? Well, very analytical, very methodical, no people skills, bad bedside manner, very blunt. Yeah, you're probably going to die or 
be paralyzed for the rest of your life. Even though in their mind, that's what they should be saying. They don't sugarcoat it. They don't package it the right way. They don't have that connection. It seems like they don't really care. Even though they're the best at what they do, they don't have that connection. So they do have the product knowledge, but the way they come across has the opposite effect. And when you sue somebody, you sue the person you don't like. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. That's very true. So it does show product knowledge is dead last and the people skills are definitely first. So go back through the previous podcast. We've done a lot on personality, on rapport, on connectivity that are going to give you some great resources as to how you can be more likable and, and generate that rapport that you need to have with your prospects. And then, you know, it's kind of this little tug of war at that point because I think we all know the answer is if you go into the car dealership right now, is that sales guy friendly? <laughs> you know, he's probably too friendly, right? So you've got to be able to build value and manage the sales process so you don't just cross over into that greasy, you know, too friendly, too fast territory, correct? Absolutely. That's a big complaint, too friendly, too fast. And you said it to where there has to be some reason to talk, to connect, to build the trust, the what's in it for me before you start doing all the gushy, chit-chatty stuff. And of course, mirror their personality. Some people want to get right to the point. While other people do want to talk about the weather or families or other things, you have to be able to mirror that and give the prospect what they want. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that'll do it for our question for the day, unless you have anything else you want to add before we go on to the ninja. Let me add one more thing, okay. a simple thing. It costs nothing for people skills is a smile, right? It's free. It opens people up. People want to mirror that. It increases sales in retail settings up to 20%. Even in customer service, those who talk over the phones, a smile increases that connection. All I have to say is you have one, use it. It makes a huge difference, and people like you more, and it makes them feel better on the inside. Such a simple thing we can all do better is use your smile this week. And I think the people that are doing it are kind of saying, yeah, duh, but there's some people that just don't do this. And... Maybe it's not in their personality, but I gave a presentation in Chicago a couple of weeks ago to a group of investors, and of course they they all want to know what they can do, you know, to be better investors. And there are these two ladies in the back, and they had a terrible, terrible case of permascowl, as I call it. <laughs> I mean, I'm just presenting, and I'm going, man, these ladies hate me. And they came up to me afterwards, and were very complimentary, and said, oh, we like, thank you for your presentation, blah blah blah. And I'm thinking, wouldn't have known it by looking at your faces for the last two <laughs> days, right? You look so, so grumpy. And so if I could be totally candid and honest with them, I'd say, you know what the first thing you can do? You know, you got to get into the gym and start smiling, get those muscles working a little bit better. Because, wow, you've worked them into a permascowl, and people are just going to always think that you're mad and you're grumpy, and no one is going to want to be around you. Yeah, I agree. I think the biggest offenders of this one are the people that said, yeah, duh, are the ones that need to work on it the most. Because how much we think we're smiling and actually smiling are two very different things. Isn't that such a recurring theme in all of this, in all this persuasion stuff? We think that, oh, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. But the reality really is different many times. And that's why it's important to have you know, somebody to work with you on this stuff, whether it's a supervisor or a mentor or a colleague that's going to tell you what's really happening. Because we get our blinders on, we get our, our habits that we do every day, and we think we're great. But, uh, you know, the numbers show a different story. So that's good stuff, Kurt. We appreciate you sharing it. And it looks like we need you to cue the ninja. Ooh, good stuff. Ninja, let's hear it. There it is. Have at it. Who's the ninja? 
Well, I'm off to Vegas this next week. Perfect storm of a couple clients, couple speaking engagements, a little relaxation with my wife, and I needed a couple extra hotel nights. And of course, you go to the travel sites. I'm not even sure which one I was on, but the ninja goes to these travel sites. They're all starting to do this to where I was looking at a few hotels in Vegas, and this screen popped up that said 336 people are looking for hotels in Vegas. I'm like, whoa, whoa, 336, that's a lot of people. Got to book it now because Vegas can fill up fast. Vegas has been sold out before. I've had challenges getting rooms in Vegas before, and then I started to think about it. Now, whoa, wait a minute. If I just divided that number into the number of people in the United States, not counting the world because the world goes to Vegas, I just did the math. It's point zero 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 one one two. So even though it wasn't a lot of social validation when you do the math, I mean, even if you did the world, it would be a lot lower. That was a great form of social validation or where they say there's only 12 rooms left at this rate or five people just booked this hotel in the last hour. Great social validation gets people thinking because we all know with our prospects, if I think I can come back to a website, book at a different spot, come back later, get more information, it's not going to happen. But if they have my attention right now that if I don't do it, there won't be any hotel rooms, and nobody has more hotel rooms than Vegas, that I need to take action. So I thought it was great urgency, great social validation. So the ninja goes out to the great travel websites that keep us on our toes. Even when they say, oh, there's only two tickets left in this price for the airlines, works really well. I think that, it, and they accompany that with, yeah, you're, you're seeing that there's two tickets left at this price. There's 300 people waiting in line to scoop up that very hotel room that you're considering. Because you, Kurt, you analyze persuasion and marketing for a living. Of course, you're going to think about this deeper but most people are, are going to freak out a little bit, right? That's what they perceive is, oh, there's 300 people. This hotel room could vanish out from underneath my mouse pad at any second, right? I better hurry up and book this thing. That's so true. And one of the reasons it works so well is that we've all been bitten in the rear end where we came back to an airline price or came back to a hotel and it was, and the price increased or it was sold out and we didn't know what to do. We couldn't find a room. Now what? We've all been bit by that, so it's very, very real that we know that, hey, if we don't take advantage of this, it could be gone forever. Right, and that's what we've talked about on a, off and on for quite a few episodes is the best way to have good scarcity is to have legitimate scarcity. Legitimate, real, believable, and that is. Now, I'm assuming they're telling you the truth, but we've booked hotels and airlines before, and we know that sometimes it's just gone, sometimes the price doubles, sometimes we'll be sleeping in the car or whatever it is that we know that it's real. Right, and, and one of the best ways to make it real, and you might not have any control over this, but in a sense you do, right, is just picking the right industry makes it so much easier to have legitimate scarcity. If you're selling trinkets on the beach in Mexico, you can have a real tough time generating legitimate scarcity, right? Because you see 30 different kinds of that bracelet or that necklace right there, and then you see all the other vendors walking around on the beach versus, yeah, there are only a certain amount of hotels in Las Vegas available. That's legitimate scarcity. So choosing the right industry is so much a part of that. But then, like we said, you got to back it up. We've been burned before. Did you book the hotel, Kurt? I booked the hotel. You, bo you sucker. <laughs> wow. I needed to, right? <laughs> but as I thought about it later, I'm like, wait a minute. The math doesn't make sense here as far as the scarcity. But yeah, I did. Did you get a good hotel? I mean, do you, you want to tell us which one or are you just going to be cryptic about it? 
Well, there's a couple of, I know we're doing a couple of nights at the Rio and then a couple of nights at a new one down at the city center. Oh, okay, cool. That's a pickup by a client, but there's so much building and things happening down there. It's just amazing how fast that place is growing. I'm really loving the Aria in Vegas right now. That's my, my go-to spot. And they've got a Mexican restaurant in there called Javier's that, or Javier's if you, uh, Espanol. Yeah. Isn't that part of the city center too? Yeah, I think it's hooked on to city center. It right might next be where I'm at. I'd have to double check. I haven't looked at the itinerary, but yeah, all that new stuff down there. Yeah, it's pretty slick. Go get some food at Javier's for me. Get the uh, crab and uh, shrimp enchiladas and thank me later. Oh, there we go. And now we got our topic of food already covered. I'm not going <laughs> to let that one slide by, even though it was in the bottom of the ninth inning here. So there we go. That's it for today, folks. Kurt, thanks for your great advice on persuasion. Everybody, remember, go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. All you got to do is open up your uh, iTunes account on your computer, your iPad, your iPhone, whatever, and you can put in Maximize Your Influence, and you can see us and just subscribe so all the podcasts will automatically download to your phone or device that you're choosing. So once again, thanks. We will catch you next week on another episode of Maximize Your Influence. See you next week.